This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. If you would please turn with me to the Gospel of John. I want to continue this idea, this series, Among Us. Today with a message that I didn't really know any other better way to title it than Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. As you're turning to John chapter 1, last week we talked about the greatest gift that God could ever give His people. The gift of glory. The gift of His presence. The gift of God in every part of our life. His glory came through His Son, Jesus. We looked at John chapter 1, verse 14. So the Word became flesh or human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. God allowed us to see His glory, a glory that Moses couldn't look upon in the days of old when he asked to see the glory of the Lord. This is the glory that, as Isaiah prophesied, he said that uh, this, the song really we just sang, he said that the seraphim were circling around the throne and they covered their face as they cried, holy, holy, holy. They could look upon the glory of the Lord, yet we, mere sinful human beings, were allowed and afforded a privilege to see the glory of God. And what's amazing about that is it's, the privilege has never been taken away. Jesus isn't here walking on this earth in the flesh, but because of his Holy Spirit, we get to be a part and see his glory each and every day. Isn't that precious? I'm thankful for that. Today I want to look at the idea, uh, really in between some of this, we started off in the first part of this chapter and we distinguished who the word was, and then we jumped to verse 14 uh, last week to kind of look at what the Word brought being His glory. And today I want us to jump back just a little bit. I'm going to jump to verse 6. I'm going to read some there. John the Baptist is testifying about Jesus. Next week we're going to dive a little more in detail about John the Baptist and his message. But where our passage picks up today, John is, is testifying. And John says in ver, uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through 13, God sent a man... John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He simply was a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him, but all who believe in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They're reborn not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but of a birth that comes from God. He gave the right to become children of God. It's interesting that 
the writer, John the Evangelist, breaks up this passage. He's introducing this book, introducing this gospel, and this gospel is so full of life. It's so full of theology. It's, it really is the basis of a lot of our Christian faith, our Christian belief, and yet John breaks up this moment. He's introduced Jesus himself, the Word, who was uh, from the beginning, who, was, who the Word was God, the Word was with God. All things were created by him and for him. He's introducing the Word, the, the true Son of God, and then he changes gears and he switches to John the Baptist. He switches to the message. And there's two major gifts that John is expressing, John the Baptist is telling about in his testimony that I want us to look at. These gifts are eternal. They keep on giving. You ever heard of the gift that keeps on giving? Uh, sometimes they're not always good gifts that keep on giving. They're gifts that have consequences forever, you know. Like if somebody gives you a dog and then you have to feed it and you have to clean up after it and you have to get it throw up off the floor in the middle of the night, that's the gift that keeps on giving, right? This isn't that kind of gift. This is a gift of, of grace and unfailing love, of, of grace and truth. And it's a gift that keeps on giving. And it's a gift that's for everybody. The first gift that John tells us about is the gift of the adoption into the family. The gift of the adoption into the family. John was sent to bear witness to the fact that Jesus came to be the light to everyone that might believe. Jesus came to be the light to everyone. He didn't come for some. He didn't come for a hand-picked select few. He didn't come for the elite. He didn't come for the lowest of the low. He didn't come for any particular race. He came that everyone might believe. Yet those who reject, there are those who reject Jesus and there are those who accept Jesus. And of course, we know that there are plenty of people, there always have been and there still are plenty of people that will reject Jesus and never accept his truth. And unfortunately for those people, Jesus was also sent to be the righteous judge. And there's no way around the fact that judgment is going to come and one day the people that reject his message are going to have to answer for that. But what's beautiful is on the flip side of that, those that accept his message and believe on him, he gives the right to become children of God. The Jewish people, J Jesus' own people, would not receive him because of their expectations. Their expectations of the Messiah were set to a place where they were not met through Jesus. They had expectations so high that Jesus and who he really was did not meet their expectations. How does the word becoming flesh not meet the expectation of man? Somehow, some way, when that takes place, the human mindset is not in line with God. We do not have the heart that God wants us to have when God does not meet our expectations. It should always be the other way around where we don't meet God's expectations. We are not good enough to earn and deserve God's grace, but yet so often, just like the Pharisees, we flip it and occasionally God does not meet our expectations in every given situation. He didn't meet their expectation. There's a promise given to those who do believe and receive him. Verse 12 says, but all who believed him and accepted him or received him, the, the English standard version, the more uh, literal version there says, or received him. He gave the right to become children of God. Those who believe and accept or those who believe and receive the word have an entirely new status and new authority. Believing and receiving. Now I'm going to throw a little bit of secular thought in this conversation. My mama always told me about Santa Claus. If you ever stop believing, you stop receiving. You ever heard that? You ever stop believing, you stop receiving. Mitchell has never stopped believing. 
But the reality is for Jesus, we have to believe on his name and receive him in our life in order. We have to believe to receive the grace. We have to believe to receive the glory. We have to believe to receive the grace and truth. Receiving comes alongside believing. It's interesting in uh, this idea that become clearly indicates, he says we're, we're given the right to become children of God. You are not a child of God until you believe and receive on the Son. There's a transformation that takes place. There's something that happens. There's this, this old passing away and the new coming in and this new creation being established and being built. For a person to believe on the name of Jesus is accepting the reality of who he was. In the ancient world, a person's name really explained and, and detailed who the person was. And so in order for the people to, to take the name of Jesus, the belief here is that the focus on Jesus' real self and not just his name. To believe the name of Jesus was to believe in the person of Jesus. To believe in the name of Jesus was to believe in the person of Jesus. Now, we could go so many different directions, but I have to go to the idea that we're not to use the Lord's name in vain. And my, my favorite whole thought idea behind that is so many times people that are not born-again Christians love to use the name of Jesus. They love to, especially when they stump their toe or something don't go their way. or They're, they're loving to call on the name of Jesus. They believe in the name, but not in, not in the person. When we believe and receive who Jesus is, we are not only taking his name, we are believing in the person of Jesus. The result of that belief is that we have the right or authority to join a new family. Paul explained it in Romans 8, 15. He says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. God uses the image, uh, Jesus, John uses the image of a new birth in his gospel, and Paul is using the, the image of this adoption. We become children of God. Verse 13 says, They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but of a birth that comes from God. It tells me that it's not humanly possible on my own accord, by flesh, or by my own intention or plan, to become a child of God. Without the sacrifice of Jesus, without the atoning sacrifice, without God putting his hand and calling us into that family, there's no way to become part of the family of God. So Jesus brought us the opportunity to become part of the family. So what are the benefits of becoming children of God? The whole passage of what I just read you in Romans 8, uh, verses 14 through 17, the whole thing says, for, though, uh, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. You received what when he adopted you? God's spirit. And now we call him Abba Father. We call him what? We received a father. For his spirit joins us, uh, joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children... We are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we're to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. When we're adopted into the family, we receive the spirit. We receive our father. We receive an inheritance. John said, Jesus, the word became flesh and came to earth. He was born in a stable and laid in a feed trough. 
so that we may receive the true spirit of God, the glory of God. We may receive the heart of God to follow direction and instruction. The spirit is there to lead us and direct us. It's by the spirit of God that we are made children. And because of that, we have an advocate of peace and a spirit of wisdom guiding us and directing our lives. He's given us a father. The benefits of our new father are that, unfortunately, discipline comes with that. A good father brings us discipline. If it wasn't for discipline, you and I occasionally would go off the rails. Maybe not you, but I would. Brother Tommy said Wednesday night that he's had friends in his life that would speak truth into his life. And when he, he started going off on some deep end or started thinking on some off trail and, and going off the rails, there was friends that would come alongside him and say, Tommy, get your life together. You need to get your head right. You're not going in the right direction. We don't like that. We don't like criticism. We don't like discipline. But a good father is disciplining his children to get us to become who he wants us to be. In order to receive the father's inheritance, we have to become like the father. And the only way we become like him is through the discipline of the Father. But not only is there discipline, but there's unfailing love and grace that comes through him. Psalm 50 verse 10 says, For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own a cattle on a thousand hills. My Father owns it all. My Father owns it all, and I will never go hungry. He will never let me go without. I have all that I need and my father, Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, and because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. The cry is implanted in our hearts. Sometimes we're too independent, and we think we can do it on our own. The cry of God should be planted inside of us. The spirit of God is there, prompting us to call out, Father. But yet we're too independent occasionally, and we've got to remember the fact that we are blessed the fact that God is our Father. Thirdly, through this adoption into the family, we receive the inheritance. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 are precious scriptures. For God, for this is how, see, I'm trying to read a different translation. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. The idea of God being a God that, that came to send people to hell is completely false. God didn't come to send anybody to hell. He didn't come to condemn anybody. Instead, God loved everybody enough. He sent it that everyone might believe in him. Jesus was sent that everybody might believe. Jesus wasn't sent to, sent to condemn the world, but instead he was sent to save the world. Yet in order to, to be saved, we have to believe and receive on him. The inheritance is eternal. We get to share in God's glory. The gift of glory is ours as long as we believe and receive the Father's Son. The same glory that Jesus received, we receive. Of course, this comes with suffering. We have to kill the flesh. We have to bear a cross. We have to take ridicule and shame. A couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night, we talked about the rejected king, Jesus, the rejection that Jesus dealt with. And we, as God's children, deal with rejection. But when this life is over, we'll suffer no more and we'll receive his glory forever. John testified that Jesus brought the gift of adoption into the family of God. 
He also testified, number two, that Jesus brought the forgiveness of sins. You say, well, duh, pastor. Well, sometimes those duh moments are the ones we often forget. John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. It says that one day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one I was talking about when I said a man's coming after me who's far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me the one whom you see the Spirit descend and rest on the one who will baptize with the Holy is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, and I testify that he is the chosen one of God. John said, look, behold the Lamb of God, the one who comes to take away the sins of the world. It's so easy to get this so mis- misconstrued, so messed up. The message is so easy to twist. Jesus was sent. The Lamb was slain to forgive the sins of the world. John had been battling, whenever we read this passage, the context is John had been battling out a controversy with the Pharisees about his right to baptize. If you read up just a little bit before what we just did, and John's made it clear that he baptized in water, but right there among them was Jesus, yet they could not even see him. They couldn't see him, remember, because their expectations were set so high. Their expectations were different, and Jesus, God chose a different path. He chose to do things completely different than, than would meet their expectation. The fourth gospel, John does not record, as Matthew, Mark, and Luke do, the baptism of Jesus by John. It's interesting the way the writer does this. So when we read this passage, and John seeing Jesus, this is not Jesus coming for a baptism. This is after. He said, I've already seen. I was told when I was sent to baptize that the one who I saw the Spirit descend on and rest on is the one that would baptize with the Holy Spirit. John said, I've already seen that. So timeline He's already witnessed. So at this point, he now recognizes, behold, the Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. The Lamb is our eternal message. We see this throughout the entire Bible. Abraham and Isaac prophesied in Abraham's sacrifice in Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham said God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering. He will provide a lamb for the offering. And then in Exodus chapter 12, the Passover applied the principles of the sacrifice by applying the blood of the lamb to the doorpost. Exodus 12 verses 21 through 23 says, then Moses called out to the elders of Israel together and said to them, go pick out a lamb or a young goat for each of your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Drain its blood into a basin, then take a bundle of hyssop branches and dip it into the blood. Brush the hyssop across the top and sides of the door frames of your houses, and no one may go out through the door until morning. For the Lord will pass through the land, strike down the Egyptians, but when he sees the blood on top and the sides of the door frame, the Lord will pass over your home. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. If this doorpost is covered by the blood of Jesus, the death angel can't do anything to touch me. 
As long as I remain in the temple of the Holy Spirit that God has created and designed and, and he's dwelling inside of me, there's blood. The blood of the lamb is washed all over me and, and death can't touch this. Isaiah 53 personified the sacrifice of the lamb. Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6 says, Yet it was in our weakness he it was our weakness he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away and left God's plan to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. We've now put a person to the sacrifice. We've made it personal. He was crushed for me. He was beaten for you. And then John 1 has identified the sacrifice in verse 14 when he says, So the word became flesh, or became human, and made his home among us, full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we've seen his glory. And then John said in verse 29, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then, in Revelation the lamb and his sacrifice is magnified. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 14, and they sang a new song with these words, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it, for you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests of our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked again, John said, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne of the living beings and the elders, and they, they sang out a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea, they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one who is sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. I'm not a runner, but that makes me want to take off running. Jesus, the Word becoming flesh, the sacrificial death of Christ is the essence of our message. And we see it all throughout the Scripture. John said, Jesus was sent. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The reference to Jesus here in John chapter 1 is the Lamb of God. is a Greek word, amnos, which is not important, but I want to show you where that word is also used. In verse 36, it says, Behold, look, there the Lamb of, uh, there's the Lamb of God. And then in Acts, Luke writes, Acts 8.32, the passage of Scripture, uh, the passage of Scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep, to the slaughter as a lamb silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 1.19. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. That same lamb, John says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That same word, amnos, is found 101 times in the Greek Old Testament. You say, what does this matter? 82 of those were references to a sacrificial lamb. And John is using the same word. So we 
have to see Jesus as the lamb, the sacrificial lamb. But not only the sacrificial lamb, I told you when we first started, he has to be looked at as well as the judging lamb. Matthew said in chapter 3, verse 12, he is ready to separate the shaft from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he'll clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, and uh, but burning the shaft with never-ending fire. The Messiah, he was sent to sift the shaft. We've got a, a Messiah who was sent to save the world, but there also has to be judgment. Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Logos, came to forgive the sins and take away the sins of the world. John said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, he repeated this again, he said, and you know that Jesus came to take away our sins and there's no sin in him. The whole purpose of Jesus was to take away the sins of the world. And that sounds simple, yeah. We've been in Sunday school and we've sat in sermon after sermon. We've heard Jesus came to save the world for God so loved the world that he sent his son that we didn't have to die, but we could have eternal life. It's so easy and so simple, yet we still live in a sin-filled world. If it's such an easy message, why can't the church get it straight enough to just simply deliver the message, Jesus came so that you could be part of the family of God and you no longer have to live in sin. Jesus came to take away the sins of the world. For me, it's often, especially more recently, that we attempt to complicate the gospel. As I've taken a deep dive into Scripture over the last couple years, really trying to study, and, and I've been through schooling classes, it's easy to overcomplicate the message of the gospel. There's so many opinions and so many uh, I don't knows when we really dive into Scripture. There's so many mysteries of God that you and I, unfortunately, just won't ever wrap our minds around. And if we're not careful, we spend so much time trying to, to work through those and figure those out that we miss the simplicity, the purpose of Jesus. He came so that we could be adopted into the family and so that we could be forgiven. This Advent season, this Christmas season, we focus on everything else around us. We can focus on the simple truth. God sent his son Jesus to save the world. Behold the Lamb of God who forgives the sins of the world. That's what I'm looking for this Christmas. Jesus came that we might be sons and daughters of the Creator. And Jesus came to forgive sins. Advent, Christmas, the season of expectation, the season of looking, the season of waiting, the anticipation. God, send us the Messiah. 
as we celebrate this season of, of anticipation, maybe we can point our focus to behold the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb who came to forgive the sins of the world. Would you stand with me? Say, Pastor, that message is a message of salvation. And most of us in the room, not all of us in the room, are on our way to heaven. True. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But if we had it all right, then we wouldn't be living in a world filled with sin. We would be living in a culture of revival. Right? If the church understood and the church had it together, and just, I'll be blunt and honest, if the church was out of their own sin, then we would be living in a culture of revival. So yes, it is a simple message of salvation. Because somehow, some way, we have to get the message to the people that are lost. You say, I don't need a salvation message. Well, maybe you don't for your soul. But somehow, some way, we've got to reach the people that are lost and on their way to hell. And it's simple. John said, the word became flesh. And then John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God. He came so that we might be adopted. We would have the right to become children of God. And he came to forgive the sins of many. Father, I love you, and I thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus. Father, I thank you that in this Advent season, we can declare, behold the Lamb, look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Father, I thank you that by being adopted into the family, we receive your Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct, give us wisdom and peace. Father, I thank you that we receive you as our Father who we can call on, who will discipline us to make us more like you, but you will never leave us. You're going to provide for us, God. There's never going to be a time when we won't have everything that we could possibly need. Father, I thank you for the inheritance that we are not going to see here on this earth, but it's going to be an eternity with you, an eternity in your glory. Father, I thank you for the lamb that you sent in your son, Jesus. That Isaiah personified, as we said earlier. He was crushed for us, beaten and broken for us. He was whipped so that we may be healed. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son to us. Father, today, if there's anyone in the room that don't know you, I would never assume that we have it all together. Father, I would never assume that maybe somebody who's had a relationship with you for years and years isn't dealing or battling with some kind of sin. We're not perfect. We're not going to be perfect until the day of completion when you take us home. The reality is we live in a sin-filled world. and Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that we are. Father, if there's one in the room today, I pray that you would touch them, Holy Spirit. Touch their heart. Bring them back to a place. Father, use that discipline to bring them to a place of conviction. Is anybody in the room today, no 
nobody's looking around but me. If you don't know Jesus, maybe you've strayed away. Maybe you, you know Jesus, but you got some sort of sin in your life that you can't kick out. I just want to pray for you today. If that's you, nobody's going to embarrass you. Just slip up your hand. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for that hand. God, I pray forgiveness. Lord, I pray that that individual would be able to repent, would give those things to you today. They cast them at your feet today. Lord, restore the relationship with you. Bring it back in, in union with you, Lord. Father, we believe and receive today on your son, Jesus. Forgive our sins, God, so that we could be in perfect harmony with you again. God, we want your spirit in our life. Father, for the rest of those in the room today, maybe we got it all together. Then we've got to be what your mission and vision of the church is. Father, somehow we've got to communicate the message of the gospel to the people around us. The message that's so simple that you loved your, us enough to send your son so that you could become our father and we could be forgiven of sin. Father, begin to show us the ways and the opportunities, God, to make those, those relationships. Lord, show us how to make those connections. Show us, Lord, how to make those differences. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen and amen.